Good morning, everyone. I'm Alon Litz. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Panda Health. Uh, this morning, we're here and we're kicking off Pressure Point, a new podcast by Panda to really highlight um, mental health challenges in the workplace, what people are doing great to improve mental health in the workplace. And, you know, who better to tell the story than people leaders across the country that are driving real change for their employees on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm really excited today to have Dr. Lesejo Rametzi here with me. She is the group head of health and wellness for the APSA group. So that's over 35,000 people. And she'll be here to tell us some tricks, some tips, and what APSA are doing to really create a positive work environment for staff across the 10 different offices that they have across the continent, more than 10 offices, 10 countries across the continent, as well as a presence in the UK and the US. So good morning, Dr. Rabetzi. Really great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. It's really a privilege and an honor to be here. What struck me about your background is that it's quite unique. Uh, what's also unique about it is that it is unexpected, but at the same time, it makes so much sense. So without giving away too much from my perspective, please tell us a bit about your background. Thank you so much. So uh, I'm a medical doctor by training. So I did my medical degree at the University of Cape Town. And um, after spending uh, a bit of time doing clinical work, I joined Anglo-American in various uh, positions. Uh, I used to be an occupational medical practitioner and I was also head of wellness uh, at some point. And then when I left Anglo, I was the head of health uh, for that division, Kumba Ainar. So uh, during my time at, um, at Anglo, I, I got introduced into uh, you know, the space of occupational medicine, uh, which is a, a subspecialty of public health. So that's what really made me, uh, you know, go and study further uh, in occupational medicine. So occupational medicine really is about, you know, what makes people uh, ill at work. What is it about work uh, that can lead to ill health? And also understanding some of the health imperatives that you have to understand as people come into the workplace, how that would impact productivity, uh, how it impact them, uh, you know, their health, their well-being. So that's really what it's about. It's, it's also a preventative field of medicine. Uh, where you look at policies, uh, and, and, and it looks not only at individuals, it, it has, uh, you know, uh, the ability to impact uh, at scale. And I think for, um, for a clinician, uh, I used to, you know, look at, uh, you know, it was about seeing one patient and impacting one patient at a time. And I used to think that there should be something more that one could do, uh, you know, to make a greater impact, uh, you know, at, at scale. And I think occupational medicine, uh, you know, gives one the ability to do so. And that's really what stroke an interest. And I've never looked back. Yeah, so, so that's really uh, my background. And then thereafter, I did an MBA uh, at UCT. 
And uh, recently I've completed an advanced management program with IMG at Switzerland. So that's really my background. Sure, amazing. So, and I'm a mom of four boys. <laughs> I must just put that. We're going to do a separate podcast on that. I'm a dad of two boys and we barely cope. So I need some tips from, from the master. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for that background. I think, you know, unbelievable background and, you know, very clear around scaling impact while like, and very clear why that background in medicine around problem solving around first principles is applicable to what you're doing today. I think you've touched on it. I think you know, work is just the reality is it's such a big part of our life. And Absolutely. if it's not um, a supportive environment, if it's not a positive environment, there is going to be an impact on the day to day. So we'd love to hear your view on that. So look, I mean, um one of the things that I think, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, brought to the fore is um, you cannot uh, have a thriving business or you cannot have an organization that's meeting its financial, uh, you know, uh, aspirations without a well uh, workforce. So that, that really goes without saying. And I think pre-COVID, uh, a lot of organizations used to think of wellness as just EAP and a tick box exercise. But when we were faced with a pandemic of that scale, I think all organizations understood that, you know, caring for the employee as well-being, safety and health became quite paramount. And uh, that really, uh, you know, accelerated, uh, you know, in my view, the importance of having a comprehensive health and well-being strategy and not really just uh, you know paying lip service to it because organizations that really navigated the pandemic you know uh, quite well are those that made that north star uh, the north star was how do we keep our employees safe and well and healthy and those are the organizations that actually uh, you know uh, navigated it with, uh, quite well and i think at absa we we did that uh, you know uh, as soon as you know for us our decisions were always grounded on how is this going to impact on our, you know, our employee safety and well-being? And if it was, this will enhance it, uh, that's how we made our decisions. And I mean, it's not uh, a secret that our COVID-19 and pandemic response uh, won multiple awards. And it was really around how we rallied as a collective, senior leadership, the most senior uh, you know, executives in our organization understood that this was a matter of life and death. And, you know, uh, by putting our employees at the center, it was one of those that made sense. And I think we did really, really well. And I think the main learnings from that, it's, you know, it, we continue to draw uh, from that as part of our uh, people strategy and also as part of our well-being strategy going forward. And I'm sure it, it helped that they had a doctor on the exec team that could help drive that strategy. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so... Obviously, if you've got a small team, if you're in the office every day, it's easier to have a pulse on what's going on. Uh, but how do you do that at scale? I mean, that's not easy. How many people are in uh, the APSA group at this point? How many offices are you covering just to, to set the context? Look, I mean, we have over 35,000 employees uh, and we have presence, uh, you know, across Africa. Uh, we also have presence, uh, we have a UK office and a US office. So uh, definitely huge geographic, geographical uh, footprint. But uh, 
the scale uh, that we're looking for, uh, it sits with uh, line leaders. So well-being, it's not the responsibility of the wellness team or the wellness leads. It's actually everyone's responsibility. And I think, uh, you know, when we start recognizing and realizing that, you know, uh, it's, it's everyone's responsibility, that's how you get the scale. And that's really one of our strategies, uh, you know, from a mental well-being point of view, that it starts with self. So we look at how we empower and raise awareness, uh, you know, at an employee level. And then we look at the role that line leaders play at a team level, because uh, the engagement of, uh, you know, colleagues on a single, on a daily basis, it's really, uh, you know, defined by how they engage with their team members and their line leaders. So if somebody says, I love working at APSA, actually it's that engagement they have on a daily basis with their immediate team and line leaders. So that's why for us, mental well-being it's the responsibility of everyone across the board. And that's how you really get, uh, you know, the skill that you're looking for. Yeah, I love that. And I think you, you made the point previously that it's not a tick box exercise. Um, one, it's the right thing to do. And two, it's good business. Absolutely. Uh, but, but how do you drive that consistency? I mean, um, I agree. And, you know, it, you know, you and your team can't be responsible for this alone. Uh, but how do you drive that responsibility and importantly, the consistency across your different line managers, across all those different offices? I know you've got a remote uh, setup as well or a hybrid setup. So everyone's not in the office necessarily at the same time. So that's not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not easy and it's something that takes time. And I'll be the first to say that we are on a journey at APSA. It's not perfect, uh, but uh, we, we've put in the building blocks uh, really that probably will set us up for success. So uh, our strategies, uh, you know, it's delivered, uh, you know, at three levels. So I've said that at an individual level, we really look at empowering and enabling our colleagues to take care of themselves, you know, from a physical point of view, because we do know that our physical well-being is closely linked with your mental well-being. So exercise, I mean, data uh, is starting to show the importance of exercise in, uh, you know, optimizing and enhancing mental well-being. And in addition, we're starting to see that exercise actually, uh, it's, it forms part of the prescription uh, of uh, common mental health challenges. So uh, we know that there's better outcomes if you've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and if you exercise as well because of the, you know, the, 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 the endorphins, serotonin and all that. So we know that exercise is quite uh, important even in the management of uh, common mental health uh, conditions. So exercise, the importance of sleep, uh, we do know that uh, individuals who do not get the requisite six to eight hours of sleep, uh, you know, every night are at risk of developing, uh, you know, mental health challenges. So exercise, uh, you know, sleep, uh, nutrition, the importance of a healthy diet uh, in maintaining our mental health. And the fourth thing is around mindfulness, and, and probably you know more about me, uh, more than me uh, on, on mindfulness. But really, what are the practices that one, uh, you know, can employ and deploy to deal with stress? Because stress is going to be with us, uh, you know, 
for a long time to come. There's quite a lot of changes that we have to grapple with in South Africa. There's load shedding, you know, the cost of living is increasing. Uh, there's a lot of pressure that, you know, all of us have to concede with uh, on a daily basis. But how do you manage your stress levels in a way that it does not tip you over? So those are the things that, you know, we empower colleagues uh, and give them the skill sets to manage uh, their mental health. So, so that's a very important thing. So what is it that one should be doing on a daily basis to optimize their mental health? And one of the things that we, we've partnered with uh, the Neuro Leadership Institute, uh, you know, using neuroscience to understand micro habits that people can build on a daily basis uh, to optimize uh, mental uh, health. I mean, it's the same ex exercise. You cannot wake up and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to run a half marathon. And yeah, it's about doing small bits of exercise and building on that. And it's the same with mental health. It's about what are those micro habits that you can employ to manage uh, your stress levels. So, so that's the work that you know we empower our employees to do the work to take care of themselves. But we also recognize that if you have a healthy individual and you bring them into a space where it's not conducive for mental health uh, with time, uh, you know, uh, their the, the mental health will be impacted. So the second layer of work that we're doing is at the team level, where it's a line leader-led, uh, uh, you know, type of uh, process where we capacitate uh, our line managers on mental health and mental ill health, how to take care of yourself, you know, behavioral modeling, you know, how do you, uh, you know, model positive uh, behavior to enhance mental health. And I think you've talked about hybrid organizations. Uh, as APSA, we are a hybrid organization. We have uh, colleagues that work uh, remotely, some that work in the office. And how do you manage boundaries? Because there's some of the things that people grapple with. Uh, you know, around um, managing boundaries at work and at home. And I think if you, if you recall during COVID, that's one of the things that, you know, as a transition, we, most of us did not get right. You know, work and home became, this, uh, you know, one. And how do you really manage that to optimize work uh, outputs and also um, home life? I think I just want to pick up on some of those key points that you've made. I think, first of all, on the individual level, I love the concept of micro habits and starting small. I think when people look at these problems and they seem daunting, yeah. you're never going to start. But if you break it up into little pieces and start small and build from there, that's the way to ultimately achieve it. And I love your focus on proactive healthcare. I think we're too reactive generally waiting for problems to arise versus doing more upfront to address those issues. And those are all, you know, whether it's exercise, nutrition, you know, outlets from a balanced perspective, making sure that you have those opportunities to let go of stress and build resilience are critically important. Um, I'd love to touch on though, you've mentioned the work you're doing from a neuroscience perspective, um, something that I always used to say, and you took it to the next level, is that the only constant in organizations is change. You've, you've said the only constant in organizations is exponential change, and I may steal that moving forward. Uh, but how do you prepare people for change? I mean, it's easier said than done. It's difficult. Change is hard. Change is hard. Uh, I think uh, 
human humans are creatures of habits. I mean, if if we if we had a choice, we would do the same things every day because that's when we are at our most comfortable. But unfortunately, uh, we're living in unprecedented times, and exponential change uh, definitely will be the constant going forward. So it's important that we support, uh, you know. Uh, employees, uh, colleagues with building resilience. And, you know, uh, resilience has been one of those words that has gained a lot of prominence uh, over the past four or five years. And people talk about bouncing uh, forward, bouncing backwards, but uh, inherently within resilience, it's really, uh, you know, our ability to deal with either stress or an event, uh, you know, that has changed us somehow, or grief, pain, loss. So, so for you to be resilient, to say, geez, I think I am resilient, you, sh you, you probably have, uh, you know, uh, have had to deal with a traumatic experience. So what is important is our ability to bounce forward. Uh, so one of the for me, the definition that I like around resilience is the ability to bounce forward after, uh, you know, an adverse event uh, that we have to concede with. Uh, and, and, and it's a given. All of us, uh, you know, will deal with a traumatic event, um, you know, uh, and, and, and our ability to navigate that really talks to how well we prepare ourselves even before that happens. So. I've talked about mindfulness practices, simple things around breathing, practicing gratitude. Uh, there's a lot that, you know, if you wake up you, and you have to think about challenges that, uh, you know, we, we have to concede with, it's easy to say, geez, uh, this is the end of it. But if you have a positive mindset, if you frame things positively, and you wake up and you think about three things that you're grateful for, that definitely would fuel you, uh, you know, to, to, to go through the day. And I always say to people that uh, it's about one uh, step at a time. And I mean, these are the things that we teach our kids that, you know, if you have a, a problem that uh, seems insurmountable, if you take it in small chunks, those are things that would make you, uh, you know, really overcome. So we, we spend a lot of time looking at, uh, you know, programs and strategies that bring, uh, that build resilience so that when, uh, you know, when these adverse events happen, uh, when these traumatic events happen, when there's a setback, you are uh, already, uh, you have a tank that's already full. And by the time you've overcome at least you are halfway or so and you can start building on that yeah i love that i think you gotta you gotta keep your tank full if you're not doing that no one's gonna do it for yeah. you and uh resilience i think the world as you've said is only going to get more complicated more unknown uh, more variables that we're gonna have to navigate so it's definitely the skill i think of the future we had to identify one yeah. um so maybe focusing on something slightly different how do you empower managers to really pick up those warning signs before it's too late if you know, potentially an employee is heading to a space where they may be at risk of burnout 
or at risk of you know performance issues related to their mental health how do you prevent that from from reaching a reactive yeah. response to a proactive one so, so before i even answer that i, I like uh, you know how you use the word proactive and preventative uh, you know one of the principles in primary health care is prevention has a better outcome uh, yeah, so, so those are first principles. Um, and, and additionally, uh, one of the things that also carries a, a better prognosis is early diagnosis and early identification. So uh, one of the things that we've employed as a strategy at APSA is we have partnered with uh, you know, mental wellbeing partners where we have uh, two types of programs uh, that are available. The first one is for line leaders where we take them through, you know, uh, basics of mental health, what is mental health and what is mental illness, because uh, the two words are sometimes used interchangeably. So them understanding, you know, basics around what is mental health, what is mental illness, common, uh, you know, mental health conditions and how they present. And that really empowers line leaders to have a heightened sense of awareness, but also to identify early on if there's a colleague or an employee that might be uh, you know, presenting with some of these symptoms early on and uh, making them aware of the support uh, that is available both to the employee, the team and the line leader, because we do have support that's available uh, across the board. And then additionally, we also uh, take them through some of the occupational factors that uh, drive uh, ill health, mental ill health. Uh, for an example, if you, have, uh, if you have a team of five people, and of the five people, uh, there's only two that carries the team, the other three are not doing what they're meant to be doing, then you don't have an even distribution of workload. And in the long term, your two people that are star performers are at the risk of burnout, while the other three, uh, you know, are not doing what they meant to be doing. So, so some of those, they, they might seem like simple things, but sometimes uh, line leaders might not have the full comprehension of, you know, long-term impact of, you know, uneven work distribution. So that's a simple example. The other one is around how we, recognition. Recognition plays a very important role in uh, people's mental well-being. So how do we recognize people when they do, when they go above and beyond, uh, you know, when they excel in that role? So those are some of the, because we know recognition actually has a positive mental health outcome when people are recognized for the work that they do. And also, um, you know, respecting boundaries. And uh, if, if you work at 2 a.m. every morning, uh, you know, from, from 7 till 2 a.m., it sets the tone for the team without you knowing. And those are some of the things that might drive burnout. So we really look at what are some of the occupational factors that impact on mental well-being? And I've talked about, you know, we empower line leaders also on how to take care of their mental well-being so that they can role model positively the behavior that we want to see. And that's long-term work. It's a lot of work. It requires commitment. Uh, but I, I really believe that, you know, with time, 
uh, we will start seeing the impact and the scale and the positive outcomes that we're really looking forward to. And we know uh, the World Health Organization says mental health is the next pandemic. Yeah. Uh, workplaces are the microcosm of the greater population. So whatever is happening, you know, in the population, we're starting to see it in the workplace. Um, and I think now we used to, th uh, the World Health Organization pre-COVID, I think they said one in four uh, individuals will have a mental health condition in their lifetime. I think that number now is sitting at two in three. So if uh, workplaces are not geared up, uh, you know, uh, and proactively so, to deal with mental health challenges, it will definitely hit the bottom line in the long run. So a proactive mental health strategy actually is quite key, uh, you know, currently and going forward. Yeah, look, I love the way that the, the strategy is so comprehensive and covers so much. I think, unfortunately, one of the, the challenges that we see with mental health is stigma is still a massive issue. So how do you overcome that? How do you show people that it's okay to not be okay, that it's okay to flag these issues, have these conversations in a way they're not going to be, you know, ostracized from, from their, their colleagues? I think that starts with, with creating psychological safety. So that's really the first thing. It's creating an environment where people can speak up and say, I'm not okay. And our ability to do that is really through sharing our stories. So we, we have, uh, you know, we, we, every Monday we have uh, Mindful Mondays, which is open to all colleagues. And there we, uh, you know, encourage colleagues to share their stories because our ability to fight stigma really starts with sharing our stories. So we're really big on uh, storytelling. And additionally, we have support groups at work, uh, which are facilitated by uh, psychologists. And these, uh, you know, uh, are done virtually. And this has been probably one of the greatest uh, gifts from COVID, you know, that uh, we used to have physical support groups and uh, they were quite limited. But because now it's in the virtual space, we are able to reach colleagues uh, you know, across uh, the entire organization. And that also supports other colleagues in that space. It's a safe space where they can share how you know, they've navigated challenging times and the support that they've received from the organization. And as people share you know, more of those stories, it gives others the permission to also go come forward and share. So uh, we're still at the beginning of that, uh, but I really hope with time, as more and more people hear these success stories and they realize that, you know, Lesejo shared her story, she's still here, she got promoted. Uh, that's really how you cr create, you know, the groundswell and people understanding that just this information will not be used against me. So, so we, we are on the journey as well from that point of view, uh, but we really encourage our colleagues to come forward and share their stories when an opportunity presents itself. Yeah, look, I think normalizing these issues, yeah. speaking about these issues, uh, what we see in our live sessions as well is that often for people even just to join a session, not even participate actively, but just hear another person speaking about a situation which is similar to theirs, is the beginning of that healing journey. Because you're often sitting there in silence thinking I'm the only one facing an issue. And for the first time you actually realize that's not the case. And the reality is in 99.9% .9 of the cases, 
that's the reality, that there are other people facing exactly the same issue as you. So just sharing and being open to listening to others is really the, the, the right starting point. And I also believe sharing our stories actually save lives. Um, if I recall last year, we had a, a two-week uh, you know, mental health awareness campaign. And uh, one of the days we talked about, uh, you know, men's mental, uh, you know, uh, well-being, uh, suicide, you know, because we know uh, that the risk of suicide in men is a lot higher. And I was quite amazed that, you know, uh, there's a gentleman that even posted that, you know, I'm so glad I attended today's session because I was really contemplating this. So, you know, when we give people, uh, you know, permission, we give people permission, uh, you know, to validate also how they feel because somebody's going through exactly that same, uh, you know, situation. And, uh, and I'm glad that, you know, because that person decided to join on that day, uh, you know, they, they made the right choice uh, because we were able to set up support, uh, you know, immediately uh, for them. So I firmly believe that sharing our stories uh, validates uh, people. Uh, they do not feel alone uh, and also it saves lives. Uh, and I think ultimately, if we can save lives, uh, I mean, as a doctor, uh, that's what I would want to see. Yeah, so I mean, kudos to you. I think like, I mean, the fact that you've created that psychological safety in the organization where someone is willing to, to share that is testament to, I mean, all the things that you've spoken about. I think, we, you know, we're reaching the end. I think maybe um, one personal question in, and then one, one general one in closing. Uh, we've mentioned exercise a lot and we were chatting a bit before. Tell us about, you know, what is your, your trick from an exercise perspective? Look, I, I try and get uh, exercise five times a week. So I wake up quite early. So I wake up at 4.30. Four children, remember. So. <laughs> yeah. So 4.30 in the morning. And the reason why it works for me is because I have four kids. And when I wake up, they're still asleep. So I always tell people that that's, it's the first hour of the day where life is all about me. So I make sure that I claim it and I use it for exercise. So I do, um, if I have time, I do about five to 10 minutes of meditation um, as well, just to ground me and get me ready for the day. Uh, so, so that's, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I do. Exercise is quite important. Um, and then additionally, I try and get 10,000 steps per day. Um, you know, working remotely, it is working from home, it's difficult to get your 10,000 steps. So I make an effort to really uh, slot it in uh, three times a day. Uh, I walk around and I get my 10,000 steps. So those are the two things from a physical activity point of view that I, I do uh, quite religiously. I try and eat well, um, healthy. Uh, but that does not mean I don't eat chocolates once in a while. I do. And yeah, I try and drink my water as well. <laughs> so you're practicing what you preach. I love it. Yeah, 90% of the time. <laughs> That's okay. You know, anything in an extreme is not necessarily a positive. So um, maybe last question in, in closing. I think we've chatted a lot about the work environment, um, hybrid environments, 
obviously have a lot of benefits, but something which can be at risk is that social connection. So maybe in closing, um, you know, what are your tips to retain that social connection for teams? Because that's so critical to have a functioning team, to have a positive work environment. How do you maintain that, that connection for people? I think, I think it's something that we must really uh, pay huge attention to. Um, there are lots of benefits, uh, you know, uh, for remote working, but there are also unintended, uh, you know, outcomes. And, you know, if I think about, for an example, if you have colleagues that live alone, um, you know, for them, going into the office uh, gives them that dose of social connection. Because human beings, uh, by nature, we need social connections. And one of the reasons why we saw an uptick uh, in mental health challenges uh, during the height of the pandemic was with lockdown, uh, restricted movements, there were people that could not get that social connection. So social connections are critical in maintaining positive mental health. So we have to think about how do we arrange our work environment in a manner that it still allows for playtime, uh, connection time, and I think a lot of creativity actually happens when people are in the room as opposed to being behind screens. So I think we must be deliberate and intentional about creating opportunities where social connections is still there. Playing together as a team, strategizing, and all those good things that you know enhance a connection. The other thing that um, you know we're starting to see is that you know. Um, Individuals that uh, are in, um, you know, in abusive homes, um, going into the office used to give them a reprieve from that environment. So uh, you have to think about special uh, circumstances uh, where, you know, coming into the office actually would be beneficial for, for, for colleagues. So when you look at your uh, wellness strategy, your mental wellness strategy, you have to think about levels of customization where you look at what are your high-risk individuals, what you should be doing to support them without actually, uh, you know, stigmatizing uh, them. So, so very fine balance, but you have to be attuned to your data for you to be quite responsive and make sure that you have a totally inclusive uh, strategy that supports everyone. It's not an easy thing, uh, but I think uh, definitely data-driven, insights-driven, it's really around having your finger on the pulse and understanding what your environment uh, looks like, what are the high-risk factors, and having uh, you know, strategies that you can always uh, you know, fine-tune, because it's an iterative process. You learn as you go along, and, and it's, yeah, it's having that learning mindset that, you know, uh, always thinking, is this working? If not, how do I modify it and make sure that, you know, it's fit for purpose? Yeah, well, look, love that. And I feel like we could keep on chatting, but I think we're on time. So really appreciate your time. I think, you know, firstly, clearly APSA execs and APSA employees are super lucky to have you. This is not a strategy that just happened. I the think team this, effort. <laughs> but six years in the making, clearly very deliberate, very data-driven, very insights-driven, very people-focused, yeah. very pro proactive, very preventative, um, all the things that we love to hear. So congrats on the impact that you're making. We'll continue to watch you make that positive impact. And really, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Alan.
It was lovely. Thank you.